Hi, I'm TechCrunch Managing Editor Daryl Etherington. Welcome back to the TechCrunch Podcast, where we cover everything you need to know about the week's top stories in tech from the people who wrote them. This week, we're talking to Natasha Mascarenas about YC's decision to shrink their startup cohort and the recent layoffs at On Deck. Then we're joined by Rebecca Bellin to talk about the disappearance of Bolt Mobility. Before we get into all of that, here's what else is going on in tech news this week. Trading platform Robinhood announced that it would lay off nearly a quarter of its workforce this week. This is the second large-scale layoff in just three months for the company. In a blog post, Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev took the blame, saying the company overbet on frenzied retail trading activity last year continuing into 2022. As for why this is coming hot on the heels of the last layoff, Tenev blamed crypto crashing and 40-year high inflation rates. You can check out more on TechCrunch from Marianne Azevedo and Natasha Mascarenas. A hack uncovered this week provided access to cloud-based backends for management of 140,000 payment terminals. The hack affected YZZ's digital payments platform, which is an Android-based point-of-sale system used across various industries in the Asia-Pacific region. Security startup BugGuard revealed the hack, noting that YZ's employee credentials had appeared on the dark web, providing essentially unfettered access to the company's terminals globally. YZ said it had closed the vulnerability and enabled two-factor for access to its dashboards, a basic security measure that wasn't previously in place. When contacted by TechCrunch, YZ said it had closed the vulnerability and enabled two-factor for access to its dashboards, a basic security measure that wasn't previously in place. You can read more on TC from Zach Whitaker. Sheryl Sandberg has officially vacated her role as Meta COO, according to a regulatory filing with the SEC this week. Her last day was officially on August 1st, and though we knew it was coming, thanks to an announcement in June, this is the first time we knew exactly when it would be happening. Sandberg's probably happy to be leaving the high-profile role at a time when Meta's facing added scrutiny because of its rare quarterly revenue decline. However, she'll probably still have to testify at an upcoming hearing around a class action related to the Cambridge Analytica scandal. You can check out more from Paul Sowers on TechCrunch. Amazon announced it intends to acquire home robot maker iRobot for $1.7 billion. iRobot makes the popular Roomba series of connected autonomous vacuums. Roomba's suite of sensors give it access to a fairly complete picture of the inside of the home, and iRobot founder Colin Angle has recently been talking a lot about how it could prove the center of a next-gen, smarter connected home. You can read more on TC from Brian Heater. First up, we get a twofer with Natasha Mascarenas, who covered both Y Combinator's announcement that they're shrinking their current cohort size, and also broke the news that On Deck is laying off one third of their staff in a second round of sizable layoffs this year. Hey, Natasha, how's it going? Hey, it's going good. It's good to be back on the TechCrunch podcast. Yeah, good to have you back. And there's a lot to talk about this week. You've had a busy week, but a lot changing. And I think the common thread is still more outcome of macroeconomic conditions prevailing. (laughs) What do they call tailwinds? You know, all the buzzwords that people use on earnings calls. I know all the statements sound the same. And I I think for a (laughs) while it would be cool to like just do like a graph of what words are being used most often, what aren't, what stands out. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you could definitely get a bingo going if you wanted something to kind of make those calls a little more cheerful or fun, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so the thing that I wanted to talk about first, just because chronologically it happened earlier in the week, the YC announcement that they, well, not announcement, but it just, you discovered that they had cut their cohort size this time around just by kind of listening to what the community was talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. The information broke the news. YC has slimmed down its cohort down 40% from the previous cohort. Still tons of companies compared to its origin of like 
12 per batch, but the current summer batch is 250 companies. Right before that, it was 414. So yeah. a pretty dramatic change. Big change, yeah. And you mentioned in the piece that like it's become a kind of a cliche that, oh, how big is it this time? Like it's so big. And so it has been on that steady growth. I mean, this might be hard to pull off the top of your head, so don't worry if you don't have it, but has it ever slid backwards previously? I can't recall that it has. I can't recall that it has, and this is just like very, very subtle, but at times there will be certain countries that are one company less or or certain sectors that like, for example, ed tech in the height of the pandemic, there were more ed tech companies within the YC batch and now there are less. So we've seen like small things in relation to current trends, but never aggregate, at least over the past five years. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that, you know, they were, it seems like pretty forthcoming. Lindsay over there, you chatted with her. It seems like they were just like, you know, it's kind of the result of everything going on. That was the sum that I took away. It was like, look, there's a lot going on and come on, it's going to cause something like I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but (laughs) is that a fair paraphrase or a fair summary of the impression you got of why they've done this? Yeah, I think so. Well, like I guess starting with YC's perspective, how Lindsay framed it was this was super intentional, was to bring it down 40%. And she did confirm, this wasn't in the story, but she did confirm that they've had a record amount of applications for this batch. Mm. So she kind of was saying that it's not the demand that stopped, but it sure. just how much they wanted to provide. And then for the next cohort, which I'm already thinking about, they said that they are going to determine the batch size after evaluating the environment. So no promises or really understanding on if we're going to see smaller batches from YC going forward or what that next batch is going to look like for winter 2023. But it just sounds like it's more up for grabs than usual. Yeah. And one thing you also mentioned in there was check size, right? And they said, you know, that wasn't an impact. It's not like there's not enough money to go around. That wasn't the problem on YC's side. But one thing that struck me was one of the things that was the fallout of kind of the last of that check size change was that a lot of VCs I saw were tweeting about, well, now I'm I'm never going to follow YC investment. The the valuations are crazy, right? So do you think that had anything to do with it? I don't know if that is a specific issue that affects YC's cohort size, but it was like a big, big reaction. And right now, currently... People are allergic to high valuations, especially early, right? Totally. It's kind of like YC's personality got aged out during this downturn and everyone's starting to focus more because it's like the opposite of a lot of like what YC was shaping up to be. Like, I think like just two months ago, the president, Jeff Ralston, was saying that they could see themselves powering 1,000 companies per batch. And so now I'm just like, oh, well, that's a change. But to get to your comment specifically on how VCs were reacting to the larger check size, I could totally see this playing out where VCs are starting to tune more into YC startups because mm. they have the current batch at least has the signal that, you know, you are even more exclusive than the already exclusive batch. Right. And from my sources that I've been talking to since starting, a lot of them had just begun to look at YC as more a directional kind of more as like a way to understand the way that certain sectors are going mm. versus like for best investments, because there was just such a big batch, like 400 startups was always insane to try and get through. So it was just like a macro trend indicator as opposed to like, look at these specific things. It was like, hey, look at this sector because it's overweight in YC or whatever, right? Something like that. Yeah, exactly. And this is also me just riffing here because I don't think that anyone has said this to me other than a VC I talked to, which was their theory was that YC is kind of reacting to wanting their demo day startups to graduate with funding and to have a Mm. smaller base to pull from means that they'll have a higher percent of graduated funded startups. Uh Again, so it kind of goes into what you're saying of like a balance between like not putting a ton out there because they won't get as much back from VCs. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And that lines up totally with what, you know, Lindsay and the company provide 
reminded you because it's like, yeah, right. Like the conditions right now are such that we always want to aim for a high concentration of things like that, like funded companies exiting the cohort, right? And in an environment in which funding is perhaps more scarce than it has been in quite a while, that's going to be harder to achieve with a high volume. So if you want the same density, you just got to like lower your volume, right? It's, it's, it's kind of a simple like, you know, adjust this. Yeah. Just this knob, and then the result comes out the same. I know. (laughs) I was talking about equity today, though, too, and I was like, YC is changing so much this batch that it's hard to like know exactly what's going to lead to what outcome. Like bigger checks, smaller size, first in person since the pandemic. Too many different factors that I can't tell. Like what's going to make the biggest difference? And I don't think they've ever shared how many startups graduate with funding. So again, not sure. It's going to be a lot of it's going to be anecdotal, but we'll we'll obviously cover it. Yeah, for sure. You know, it will be really, especially going back in person. It's going to be a big, big change and in some ways maybe a throwback to earlier times, but in a lot of ways, something brand new. And I think watching to see what happens as the economy continues to change will be maybe more indicative of like what this actually means. Because in in isolation, it's hard to say, right? But I I think your story does a great job of explaining. People should go read that and people should read another story that you wrote, which we'll talk about now. So On Deck... This company, which is essentially a networking platform, is that fair to say, for for (laughs) founders? I think that's that's fair to say. But they've done this layoff round, and it's the second in rapid succession. And we're now seeing a trend of those, as you've also written about, for the site. But do you want to talk a bit about this story? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like an inside joke I have with myself, which is on deck. I've never been able to like get my head around exactly what it is. So I think your introduction to it makes a ton of right. sense. I, it's always this is been not like to say that your article isn't clear. I think it's no. very clear about what <laughs> they propose to do or say. That yes, they, yes, yeah. Well, and th- so this is relevant to the layoffs because on deck started as like a founder focused community tool, started an accelerator, a ton of programs around like climate, ed tech, and then also was trying to help stars within their companies upskill into better careers and doing a bunch of like career mobility for founders and entrepreneurs who like to talk to each other in a remote environment. Mm -hmm. So they did a lot of everything. And so today I wrote a story about how they laid off a third of staff, basically saying that they were unfocused. like they did too much. And to quote what their co-founders, David Booth and Eric Torenberg said, they said that, you know, they had these two years of hyper growth, but the broad focus also quote, caused substantial tensions. What we've always projected as strength, which was serving multiple user groups and building flywheels between them also fractured our focus and brand. So they did this layoff and just months prior, they had done a another layoff. Yeah. I mean, that's very interesting to hear from a company, a startup in this particular line of work. It's like, oh, we didn't maintain our focus and we chase too many things. It's like, isn't that advice number one when you go to the room with it? Like any VC is like, please focus. Like, please. Like that. (laughs) If not that, then what? I know it's it's a really weird and ironic, if that's the right word thing, because a lot of Onyx Future now is going to be in like two programs, one helping early stage founders secure funding and then two helping growth stage founders hit scale. Both things that they're showing they're struggling with as a company at the same time. I mean, it's really tricky. I get the desire to be in this field, especially when they started this company, which if I think, yeah, 2019 It's again, pulling from your article here. I don't, I don't know any of this. I'm just learning from you, but <laughs> so they started in 2019. Like it's a very heady time. It's a time when it's like, everything is great forever in startup land and a million ships can, you know, successfully navigate the waters. Right. So like, obviously it makes sense to start a business like this. Now, I don't think there's a better example of a company that is like a bellwether, right? It's like, what is happening in the space? Look at On Deck because they're going to be a reflection of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately, like I do feel 
very bad for everyone involved, especially when layoffs are done in that kind of succession, which is another thing you've written about. So like, what do you think is going on there, maybe in this specific case, or if you can apply it more generally to when this happens, especially with companies relatively early in their development, right? Yeah, I mean, it tracks back a little bit to what we're seeing with YC, an accelerator that like gave these bigger checks and is now investing in less people. Like I think we're seeing a lot of startups make big swings because they were reacting to the environment and then have to scale it back in different ways. In YC's case, it seems like they could do that just by accepting less people. In Ondex's case, also an accelerator of sorts, but they ended up having to like upend a lot of like the way that their company is organized. Like they're spinning, one thing we didn't get to yet is they're spinning out an entirely new company Mm -hmm. for part of their services. And so when I see like these double layoffs or kind of scaling back in multiple ways, I think a lot of it's just like, it's pretty hard to project how bad things are going to get, especially if as a founder and CEO, you've had to learn how to swing big enough to unlearn all of that, Yeah, which isn't me trying to be too nice, but I don't know. I'm kind of thinking it must be hard to project. And clearly, because who wants to do two rounds of layoffs and have to have two bad news cycles lost employees and kind of broken trust all hands within quick succession of each other. No, absolutely. You're right in that like, it's like, yeah, I don't feel bad. Well, I feel worse for the people affected on the ground than I do for the people sitting in the seats making the decisions because it's much harder to be the person who doesn't get a paycheck anymore than the person deciding that people don't get a paycheck anymore, right? But like, I think that there is something to be said for like having sympathy for people who have to go out there and specifically for VC, like your whole goal is I need to prove to this person that I'm going to take a huge risk. And the hugest. Yeah, like that's what they want. They want big risk. If there's a high likelihood that the thing succeeds, that's not for them. That's for a different market, right? Like a different type of capital market. So, right. and then, you know, three months later, whatever it is, I mean, this, this was a real whiplash cycle, economic cycle, and continues to be highly volatile, right? Like people do not know where this is going to go or for how long or anything like that. So to have to shift to that kind of defensive mentality that quickly Oof. is definitely difficult and definitely painful. And you're, it must be so frustrating because you're going to the same people who three five months ago were saying like, you better swing big or else I'm not interested. And these people are like, where's your revenue? Like, Right. Yeah. <laughs> no extensions for you. Where's the runway? It used to be like nine months of runway is enough. Now on deck has three years where it can go without capital. And I think that's the new magic number I'm seeing from a lot of founders. Three is years, like yeah. Three years. And so I'm like three years of not having to raise if they can't yeah. and be able to survive. And that's just pretty insane to see because I'm like, where, what are the VCs doing during those three years? No kidding. <laughs> and I suspect that a lot of these people, I mean, part of it is, is perhaps like just immaturity of leadership, yeah. right? And not to be in an insulting way. I just mean like they haven't spent a long time in their careers in a leadership role, right? But then the other part that's changing so fast that you go back and they're like, remember we said you need like a year of runway? You need three years of runway within the span of like 30, 60 days, right? That's going to cause the thing that you thought was the big cut to not be the big cut anymore. Yeah. It all trickles down too, because I'm thinking like that same dissonance is happening between the founders and their employees. Like we saw with, I think Rebecca's story on Lyft that got published today was like Lyft basically assured people that there were no layoffs. Then they ended up laying off an entire division or a portion of one. And so it's like the same thing where it's like you kind of keep this cycle going and I don't know who ends up making the decision first. I have to imagine with venture back startups, it has to be the investors or yeah. just like an inability to keep raising from them. But it's hard to see how it continues to trickle down. Yeah, I think it's the money makes the decision in the end, right? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's too bad. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, there are good takeaways here of like, if you hear those things, estimate very conservatively the first time around. And then the other is if you are an employee or at any of these companies and you hear there are no layoffs planned, that doesn't mean anything to you. So prepare 
as if there may be, right? Especially yeah. when stuff's going on like this. I mean, listen, we've seen three rounds. We've seen four rounds. We've seen a lot of rounds yeah. Yeah. of layoffs. So there's always more, unfortunately. Yeah, it's too bad. But thank you for coming on to talk to us about this, Natasha. It's great to have you back. Thanks for having me, Daryl. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Next, Rebecca Bellin joins me to talk about the mysterious case of the vanishing micromobility company, Bolt Mobility, and how cities are left to clean up their mess. Just to let you know, there was a bit of construction happening in the background of Rebecca's call, so please excuse any bangs you might hear. Hi, Rebecca. How's it going? Hey, good. How you doing? Good, good. Thanks for coming on. So we're excited to hear more about this story because it's quite the mystery, it seems like. Well, maybe not so much a mystery, but definitely some people are like... It is a bit of a mystery still, despite my best efforts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what, what did happen? What do we know happened so far, I guess? Okay. So what do we know happened? <laughs> we know that Bolt has... Bolted. I hate myself for making that joke. <laughs> so Bolt Mobility is founded by Usain Bolt, Olympic gold medalist, fastest man in the world. And it is a micro shared micro mobility company. And we got a tip from one of the counties in Vermont where, you know, Bolt has a bike share service. Mm-hmm. And they were like, hey, we just like haven't heard from Bolt in a while. Like, have you guys, do you know what's going on? Have they ceased up operations? And we were like, <laughs> Whoa. A story. <laughs> so, yeah, so I started, you know, asking for specifics about that from them and then just kind of going through different cities where I knew Bolt had a service and reaching out. And, you know, not everyone got back to me, but quite a few did. And most of them, with the exception of one city, were like, yeah, they just stopped operating here. In some cases, they let the city know. In mm-hmm. some cases, they just didn't. They've left, you know, bills unpaid in at least one city. They've left bikes behind in every city that they've just left. And they're all inoperable just kind of this litter on the ground, which, you know, cities love. And none of the cities that I've spoken to, nor I have been able to get in touch with anyone from Bolt's team, including the CEO. It's just, they've just gone dark. It's really strange. So I noticed that there's like a range of dates, right? So like in some places, you know, like you said, Bolt reached out and said something. I think it was like June 1st was one of them. They said like, oh, like we're going to be ending service. And then another one, I think they gave a July 1st deadline. So in some cases, they were telling people this is when it's going to end. But in some cases, they didn't at all. And in one case, as you mentioned, like they're still working, like you can still actually use the bikes as of this writing of this article, at least. Yeah. So it seems super inconsistent. Yeah, it does seem super inconsistent. And I'm not really sure why. I also think we should make a caveat that this is not the bolt in Europe. That's a different bolt. Yeah, that's what makes it more of a mystery. Like, I almost want to hear that it's not working anywhere because then I'm just like, well, how are you managing this? Apparently in one city in the town of Blacksburg, which is where Virginia Tech is, there are actually signs posted where the bikes are parked because I guess they're parked in like little hubs uh-huh. stating that they're not operational. So like they made an effort in at least one city to be like, this isn't, you know, don't try it. Or I'm not actually sure if that came from Bolt or maybe the city did it. Right. So did you get in touch with the city where it was still operating? And had they said that they had any contact with Bolt recently or did you ask them about that? So, yeah, I did. They, they were pretty short in their responses. Uh. I asked them, I reached out and said, like, hey, I'm hearing that Bolt is seizing operations in multiple cities. Like, is this happening in your city as well? They said, it's still running fine over here. Wow. And then when I asked, I'm like, have you had contact with them? Do you have contact with them? Can you put me in contact with them? They just responded and followed <laughs> up and they didn't respond. And- They're probably, you probably just made them aware, like, oh, we haven't heard from them in a while. <laughs> Let's go figure this out. <laughs> But we don't want to screw anything up because the bikes are still working. But are they docked or are they dockless bikes? Because you mentioned, you know, they're littered around. 
Mm. It'll be a combination because, you know, Bolt was apparently doing quite well as of last year. They appeared to be on a growth streak like 18 months ago. They acquired in January 2021 the assets of Last Mile Holdings, Mm. which is a it owned micro mobility companies, Gotcha and Ojo Electric. I think a lot of those assets ended up being docked. Right. It's going to be a combination of docked and dockless. But that purchase opened up like 48 new markets to Bolt. So you also mentioned that, you know, their social has been a bit inactive. I went and checked too, and like just to seek out of curiosity because I read the story and I was like, oh, I got to find I got to find something like it's one of those things where you're just like now I'm playing detective too. Right. But nothing there. And then their website is still seems to be fully intact and operational and all the links click and go places and you can still contact them to partner if you wish. Yeah, you can still call their service line. No one answers, but you can still call it and you'll be on hold for a few minutes and then it'll just die on you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So it is true. Like we've seen some abrupt shutdowns and especially like during this round of kind of like pre-recession, whatever we're in right now, whatever people want to call it. But, you know, we've seen some shutdowns and we've seen them happen pretty fast. But it's rare that a lot of the stuff is just there. Like this truly seems like, I mean, you made the pun, but it is like a bold in the night scenario. Like literally people just left their desks and were like, we're out right now. Mm. Usain Bolt himself is a person with a lot of public profile and obviously public scrutiny. Have you seen anything from him directly or has anybody been trying to contact him or anything like that? I'm not sure if people have been trying to contact him directly. Mm. I have not heard anything from him. Sorry about that noise. I have not heard anything from him specifically about this. That's the mystifying part of it. You're just not hearing anything from anyone. But he remains active. That's what's interesting, right? But like my sense of this. Should we tweet at him? Should we be like, yeah, <laughs> we should just add him. What's yeah. Up? What's he's up with t- your company? He's talking about. <laughs> I'm going to add him right now. <laughs> he's talking about his mother's 60th birthday. So just be like, happy birthday to your mom. And also, is your company still operational? Yeah. Right. Is it one of those things where you're like, is he really involved or is it kind of no, like. No, I don't think he's involved. <laughs> involved at all. I don't think so either. Right. And none of the founders, I noticed the CEO is not listed as a founder. So it seems like one of these things that maybe was kind of like, well, this is a long time ago, right? Like it was created in, well, not a long time ago, but 2018. So it's been quite a few years and maybe they've gone some, through some executive changes or something. But like, it's possible that nobody, I guess, it's possible Hussein might not even know about this, right? As far as we know it's entirely possible he's probably busy with a ton of other stuff like his mom's birthday. I have no idea what the yeah. life of, a, of an athlete right <laughs> is yeah and like if we're talking about social media like if you look at the last few posts from bolt you know on their instagram or on their twitter it's all very like we're in this city check us out like yeah. up until may about there's really consistent posting about where they are where they're going to be all this stuff and then it just kind of drops off with like you know, on I think on Instagram, there's like a last. It's like kind we're going to be at a fair. Pride post. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like it's June. It's early June. Let's post about Pride, and then they were like, "That's it. We're done here. Yeah. We've ticked that box." So I just wonder, like, did they run out of money? It probably they ran out of money. Probably. Yeah. I mean, this is very early in the story, and I'm not going to throw around accusations, right? But one possibility right. is something untoward happened right and like what well i don't know maybe somebody (laughs) took off with some of the cash we have no idea what happened i'm not asserting this is happening or like providing that there's any kind of like indication this is happening i'm just saying there's no indication of anything right so it's very Mm. suspicious circumstances it also just kind of bums me out that all these like really good pieces of hardware all these good bikes are just kind of sitting there wasting away like mayor butt of Richmond, California, had to issue a statement to be like, can people just not vandalize the bikes? 
Right. We're going to deal with it. We're working on it. Just like, don't vandalize them. And it's like, these can be recycled. I love bike share. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really important part of stable of a city. And I know a lot of the cities are really disappointed that this is happening. And it doesn't look good for the micromobility industry in general, does it? No, but I was going to ask about the hardware, right? Because it is, you you know, you mentioned it's all just kind of there and inoperable because they're designed to not be operated unless unlocked by verified user of the app and who knows what happens with servers like maybe in the one place where they're still running servers are still operating and so well they may not be for long right batteries will die yeah right? yeah and a lot of cities the batteries have died yeah and so my fear i suppose is that it'll be left to the city to collect and they'll just dump them yeah and then you're going to have another jump situation and all these nice e-bikes good pieces of hardware battery materials that are super important like slim pickings these days and Mm -hmm. and these are just going to end up in landfill which is you know just bad for a number of reasons yeah for sure now what happened here some way back context about bike share in canada so we had this company called bixie and they started in montreal and they expanded to toronto this was i want to say like a decade ago now but they later collapsed and essentially telegraphed that they were going to collapse, like just could not sustain themselves economically. And what happened was that it was nationalized. So like the bike service became operated by the respective cities in which they operated. So the city of Toronto now operates the bike share. They renamed it just Toronto Bike Share, City Bike Share. And it also subsists thanks to federal funding, right? So it was like a very interesting outcome. Some people in the aftermath of it said like this was kind of the intent towards the end. Like it's like they knew this was going to happen and continue to expand a pace anyways because they wanted it to be nationalized as a public service, which is it's everyone appreciates it. People here love it and they continue to expand it. Right. So that's like one direction to go. Have you heard of any companies trying that approach or seeking public funding or is it just not something that's like viable in the States? Yes, I have heard of this. I know Spin has done some kind of partnerships with cities. I'm not sure on the specifics, but, you know, I've asked a lot of micromobility companies about this specifically because I hot take don't think transportation is really like a ride share type thing. Right. Like ride hailing or or bike share or scooter share. I don't really know that this is like a unicorn of a business. Seems seems not to be <laughs> based on yeah, all it really available seems not evidence. To be. Yeah. <laughs> like there's too many costs associated with it. Like as grand of a scale as you get, like I just, I mean, again, it still is a young industry, so perhaps that can change. But like, I've always thought that this is just a perfect, could be subsidized by the government and be part of the broader public transit kind of ecosystem. I'd like to see that happen with, you know, these bolt vehicles that have been left behind. That would be nice. I'd like to see it happen just more generally because they're, this kind of goes into a, a broader issue that I have with shared micromobility, but it just seems too expensive for it to be, you know, that reasonable gap filler mm-hmm. between public transit. You know, it's like if it's pissing down with rain in Auckland, why would I take a scooter where I might actually get like hit by a car because there's not really good bike lanes here right. versus an Uber, which is uh, around the same price, if not cheaper. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because it's not a thing. I well, I mean, this is a great example of it, but you talked about local mobility, is it? Last Mile Holdings. Last Mile Holdings. So Last Mile Holdings, they acquired, which they probably went down a similar path, right? And then just kind of hit that. It seems like it's just kind of a like, okay, throw the what rugby maybe is the more appropriate analogy for, for New Zealand. But like football, <laughs> like th- just you're getting hit, like throw the ball <laughs> to the next person. Yeah. And then they'll carry it a few more miles, but they don't have much... I mean, it's going to happen to them too eventually, right? Like, 
Oh God, there is a rugby term for this. <laughs> well, don't strain yourself. I'm sure our, our listeners will let us know. But like, yeah, it doesn't seem like there's any evidence out there that it is something that's totally sustainable. But I wonder if there's not an opportunity there for that kind of public-private partnership at a grander scale, especially with things like this, where it's like, can you turn this kind of disaster into, is there a facility for some company to come around and say like, look, this didn't work out, but we have an idea whereby we take public stakeholders and private industry and we kind of combine and make something lasting. That's a great idea. I mean, that's the one silver lining, hopefully, right? Yeah. I mean, like, can that be its own business? Did we just create a business? I I mean, I'm terrible at business, so probably not. (laughs) Yeah, I think there needs to be some kind of way to smooth this transition. You see it in small doses in some cities. For example, yeah, I believe in Sydney, Australia, their local Metro card, which is an Opal card, they're doing a partnership with Lime. I'm not sure if they're still running this pilot or if the pilot's closed, but I know they were running a pilot with Lime, in which case you could hop off the ferry or a bus or a train and use the Opal card to then unlock a Lime bike or scooter and pay for it with your Opal card. I think there were some discounts involved or maybe even you got money back to your Opal card, at least in the initial phases of this, when they were trying to like incentivize people to use this form of transport. Yeah, so I think there has been some moves, but they're, they're few and far between. I know Tier, I've spoken to Lawrence, Lawrence Luschner, the CEO and co-founder of Tier about this. And obviously Tier is based in Germany and they've recently purchased Spin from Ford. So they, you know, now they're probably the micromobility company with the biggest footprint. They have talked to me about wanting to do more public-private partnerships in Europe, in the States, kind of relying in the States on the work that SPIN has done to do similar things. And I think that that's probably one of the only ways that you can create. Government's a good partner. Yeah. Government, there's always money from government. I feel like startups forget this. They're always chasing VC money and like VC money wants unicorns. And it's just not, it doesn't seem to be. It has a lot of strings. Yeah, it has a lot of strings and it doesn't seem like it's an easy thing to do with what is essentially public transit. Like it's not actually public transit, yeah. but this is available to the masses and it augments public transportation. You know, Candice G, who is the co-founder and CEO of VO, which is another micromobility company in the States, it's, it's a lot smaller. And she has talked about this as well. She claims that they've been a profitable company for over a year now. Like when Lime announced that they were profitable last year, she was like, sorry, boys, we've been profitable for, you know, ages. Mm. And... I obviously can't confirm this. They're not a public company, but she has said that they're just taking a really slower approach and trying to be as sustainable in each city as they grow rather than this kind of, you know, I think there's this idea with micromobility that you have to reach economies of scale, right? You need to be everywhere and then the money will come in, but you have to put in a lot of money to get in every city and get the right hardware and everything. But you know, she says that actually we just have to make sure that each city that we go into, we're doing it mindfully, thoughtfully and growing in a sustainable manner. Yeah. And so that we don't need to raise too much all the time, because and as she said, like this is your this kind of business is not a unicorn business. Yeah. It takes time to grow something that's related to public transit or a transportation company within a city to make sure that it works with the city. And you really have to you're in it for the long game. For sure. Yeah. I think that's like a good thought to close on because I think it's like a that type of pace, which is the industry, the VC industry is not necessarily accustomed to, but absolutely mm-hmm. works in this circumstance. And hopefully we'll see more of it. Thanks to all these cautionary tales. But thanks so much for joining us, Rebecca. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is fun. 
That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. And remember to check out all the stories we talked about in this episode on TechCrunch.com. Be sure to use our TC Plus promo code TC Podcast, all one word, to get 20% off on both annual and two-year terms. And be sure to check out all our other TC podcasts, Found, Equity, Chain Reaction, and the TechCrunch Live podcast. See you next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamitz with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.